My name is Brian Risky, and uh, for some reason, Judd asked me to preach this week. I don't know what it is, but the good thing, Judd, is that if everybody gets offended and leaves the church, you'll still have half a church next week. So, <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, I'm Brian Risky, my wife, Wendy. Uh, Wendy and I have been married. Uh, she took the kids to Sunday school. Um, we've been married 36 years, going on our 37th year. Uh, we are blessed with two sons and uh, great daughter-in-laws, six grandchildren, and one grandchild who's with the Lord. Um, we're just blessed this week to have our whole family together. Our house was just totally chaotic with uh, all the kids running around, and, but it was uh, such a blessed time. And I, and I, and I got to share this with you, you know, Christmas morning, just I sat back, you know, as grandpa, I get to sit back and watch the kids, and the kids were just ecstatic, I mean, just screaming when they opened stuff, and, and what was really cool is that they were thanking, well, thank you, mommy, thank you, daddy, it was really cool, and then we, we capped it off at the end of the day, all right, having, singing happy birthday to Jesus, all right, and just hearing the kids singing out happy birthday to Jesus, and then, and then in Jim's honor, we ate gluten-free cupcakes. <laughs> so, it was <laughs> anyway. Um, gosh, I was a pastor for 12 years, um, from 2001 to 2013. I was in full-time ministry. Prior to that, I was in the corporate world for 25 years. Um, I had my own business for a while. And then the Lord called me, and he called me into ministry. And I'll tell you something. When you get called into ministry, you don't turn back. You do it. And you know in your heart that, that you're called to do it. Now, I was 38 years old when I accepted Jesus Christ. So I was a slow learner. Right? But more importantly, I was 50 years old, and this is for you, Mr. Daly. I was 50 years old when I planted a church. So it's not too late. You can still do that. <laughs> um, but anyway, God has been, uh, he has blessed us so much. And, and we're here now in Gypsum uh, with our family, uh, with part of our family. Our other family is still in California, but they come and visit us. But we're here with the grandkids, and it's just, uh, it's an exciting time for us to watch them grow up and spend time with our children and, and just see what the Lord does in our lives. We we still question, why are we here? What's God going to do? How's he going to use us? And you know what? He will. He'll make it perfectly clear here soon. Now, I want to warn you right now that the sermon I'm going to give today, what, things that we're going to talk about, it's, it, it's not going to be easy, okay? It's not fluffy. It's going to be serious because we're going to examine ourselves. You know, we're going to look back on 2015 and we're going to see, you know, how is our faith growing? How is our relationship with Jesus Christ growing in this last year? So as we look, you guys can put that up, thank you. Um, as we look, we're going to be looking at our heartbeat, okay? We're going to see how God has changed our hearts over this last year. We think about what has Judd taught us in this last year? You guys are here every week and you hear Judd preach and, and you go to Sunday school and, and we had... Uh, our small group did the book, okay, Counterculture, and that just really, 
it really touched people's hearts. I know it did in our small group and in hearing in the meeting that we had afterwards about counterculture and how it impacted people and the way that they, they were looking at things differently now. So how has this last year impacted you in your relationship with your Lord and Savior? Now, I remember one week in Sunday school, we talked about people of faith in the book of Hebrews. And we're not asking you to sacrifice your first son. Okay, we're just asking you that your faith would grow, that you would take the things that you hear, take the things that you have learned, and put those to work in your life. We finished up the book of Acts. I mean, you talk about an amazing man in the life of Paul and what he went through on those missionary journeys. And think about Paul. Think about Paul before he was Paul and he was Saul. And the life he led then, he hated Christians. He would do anything to go after them and put them in prison or, or stand by and watch people get, get, get stoned to death. He hated Christianity. And what happened? God changed his heart. God changed his heart. And only God can do that. Okay, I could stand up here every week. Jug can stand up here every week. Jim, Ben, on and on and on. We're not going to change your heart. Only God is going to change your heart. And when you look at that life of Paul and you look at the amazing things that he did in his steadfastness and he just kept persevering and persevering and persevering, he was an amazing, amazing man with a heart for the Lord. And guys, I know that that's what Judd wants from this congregation. I know that's what the elders want. I know that that's what I wanted from the people that were in my congregation. Just have a heart for the Lord. So you have to ask yourself over this last year, has your faith grown? How have you changed in your walk with the Lord? We're going to talk about that as we examine ourselves here. We look at uh, 2 Corinthians 13.5. Here's what it says. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless it, indeed you fail to meet the test? Do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Guys, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, His Spirit fills you. It fills your heart. You should be a completely different person than what you used to be. Trust me, I am a completely different person than what I used to be. Now, before we examine ourselves <clears throat> and look at our faith, we need to look at the area that really controls the things that we say and do. And who would like to guess what part of the body that is? This is, it's your heart. It's your heart because if your heart doesn't change, guys, nothing's going to change. If your heart doesn't change, nothing will change in your relationships. So what's the first thing that your doctor checks when you go to the doctor's office and have an examination? First thing he looks at and checks is your heart. He puts that stethoscope on there. He wants to see if it's beating properly. He wants to make sure it's not skipping a beat. So how's your heart? How's your spiritual heart? 
Scripture describes that component as the deepest and truest part of who you are. It's a great reservoir. It contains massive amounts of information and feelings. Your heart is composed of your mind, emotions, and will. Your heart reveals who and what you really are down deep inside where no one but God ever sees. So it's reasonable that a spiritual checkup begins with a heart exam. When we go all the way back to the beginning of time, all the way back into Genesis, Genesis 6, the Lord was furious. He was furious with all the evil and corruption that was going on in the world. And he said in Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. It was on evil continually. And what happened right after that is that he wiped out mankind with the great flood. And, and I think about our society today and I think about what's going on in this world in people's hearts and the wickedness and everything that's happening. I'm like, Lord, when are you coming back? It's time. How much more of this can we take? But obviously he has a plan, and we don't know when that time is, but I know that the wrath of God will be coming. Remember Jeremiah's words about the heart. Under God's spirit, he pictured man's heart as deep, complex, and very dark. In Jeremiah 17, 9, we read that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's the heart of people. The Lord said to Samuel as he was looking at Elab as they went into the sacrifice. They, they walk into this room when they're getting ready to prepare and have the sacrifice. And Samuel's looking around and he thinks that he's among all these anointed people. And the Lord says to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7, he says, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Pretty amazing, isn't it? He says, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. Because I have rejected him. Samuel is looking at these people. <clears throat> we think about the people that, that we look up to and athletes and, and people that have a lot of wealth and big homes and cars. And, and we're looking at this outside appearance of people and we know absolutely nothing about their heart. But the Lord knows our hearts. In Luke 16, 15, Jesus says to the Pharisees, He says, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The Pharisees, when you think about them and you think about the things that they did and the things that they said, and they always tried to make themselves look good in front of people. God says, no. 
your heart's in the wrong place. See, when we come to Jesus by faith, God works a miracle in our hearts. He changes who we are. Ezekiel promised that God would give us a heart transplant. He said in Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh so that you may walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Has your heart been transplanted from a heart of stone? Is that what your heart used to look like before you came to Jesus Christ? Is there any part of your heart that still looks that way? Or has your heart been transplanted? A heart that's been transformed to reflect Christ to this dark world that we live in. This is what our heart should look like. Now let's talk about some of the barometers of the heart. Because they provide us an accurate reading of our heart's health and vitality. One barometer is our speech the things that come out of our mouth, how we communicate. In Matthew 12, 33, Jesus says, A tree is known by its fruit. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. Either make it good or make it bad. He's saying the tree can't be both. You can't have one foot in the world and the other foot in the church. If God has transplanted your heart, if he's transformed who you are as a believer in Jesus Christ, then that fruit is going to be good and it should always be good. And that's the challenge that we have as we fight this good fight of faith, as we go on this journey and try to become more and more like him. Think about, is the fruit good? Is the fruit bad, or is your tree a mixture of both? Because in Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said this. He said, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The operative phrase there is the abundance of the heart. That means what your heart is full of. And we know what our heart is full of by what comes out of our mouths. So when I'm tired or stressed out or I'm in a traffic jam in Gypsum, Colorado, what comes, what comes leaping off of my tongue is what my heart is like. That abundance is what's been occupying your thought life. So if you want to know the condition of your heart, take a reading. What do people hear coming out of your mouth? Do critical things dominate? Are you always critical? Are you angry? Do you always raise your voice? Do you always yell? Or do you encourage people spiritually and lead them with the way that you speak? What would people around you say about your communication patterns? Are you known for speaking words that hurt or words that heal? Here's a good one. Is your language different at work than it is when you're at church or around other Christians? Think about that for a minute. 
What do the people at work hear coming out of your mouth? James 3.10 says this. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. From the same mouth come blessings and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. In Matthew 12, 36 and 37, goes on to say, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So think about your heart, guys. Think about, look back, okay? This is, a, this is a day of being honest with who we are, right? This is a day of reflecting back and saying, man, how can I become better at this Christian walk? What are the things that I can change? And communication is one of them. And I tell you what, when I slip up, when I say something that I shouldn't, my wife calls me on the carpet. Boop, just like, what did you say? <laughs> Uh-oh. And guys, we just have to be more conscientious about that. And more importantly, okay, we call ourselves Christians. We accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And we're out here in this watching world, okay, that knows that you're a Christian. and knows that you come to church on Sunday. But what do they see Monday through Saturday? How do they see you respond at work? How do they see you respond to the pressures of work? How do they see you talking about people at work? They're watching you. And guys, we all need to do a better job of how we communicate and what comes off of our tongue because it's what's in our heart. Another barometer is money. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus lays his finger on a key truth about the heart. The way we spend or save or invest or freely give describes what is pulling the strings of our heart. More to the point, what does Christ see when he sees you handling money and how you deal with your finances? Or are you part of the 80% of American Christians who in essence give nothing to Christ's kingdom? Or are you learning to give more and give for the right reasons? Do you give with a cheerful heart or do you give out of guilt? See, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, a cheerful giver. See, I, I really like the fact that we have the offering box in the back of the church. That's where I had mine in our church. I remember as, as a young kid sitting in church and they passed the plate. And you'd be sitting there and the person next to you would put money in and you'd take it, you'd go like this, you'd hand it to the next person, they'd put something in. And in that week, you're like, oh, my gosh, I better put something in there next week. These people are going to be looking at me really funny. So, you know, I'd get a dollar bill, and I'd roll it up and make a California bank roll, you know, make it nice and make it look like there's a lot of money there. 
And then and next week, you know, throw that dollar bill in there. And I said, all right. And I did it out of guilt. I did it out of guilt because I didn't want other people looking at me like, oh, my gosh, you didn't put anything in the offering plate. That's why it's back there, okay, so that you give. You give because you want to give. You want to you wanna give to the church. Trust me, you're not giving to make Judd rich. He's not rich. He's only rich in, in spirit with his relationship with the Lord. But he's not getting fat off of anybody in this church. I can guarantee you that. So think about that. Think about the whole money issue. Think about where your heart is when it comes to money. Personal finances, how you give to the church. And we give to the church so that the church can do what the church is called to do in our community. So that we can do outreach things, so that we can spread the gospel, so that we can have ministries. It's not about making Judd rich, trust me. So as we look at examining ourselves, we go back to 2 Corinthians 13, 5. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? See, in today's society, it seems that when it comes to examination, everyone always wants to look at somebody else instead of themselves. We're always examining other people, see what they do, how they do it, how they act. It seems that we're always willing to be critical of others. Maybe this year it's time that we should really be willing to examine ourselves a little bit more closely and not examine other people. Going back to 2 Corinthians 13.5, it says, Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. See, the Corinthians had it in for Paul. They were very insistent on testing Paul, testing because Paul had this power from God. He had this relationship with the Lord. And every one of them wanted to keep testing Paul, the very one that brought Christian faith to him. And now Paul was coming to them, and he was encouraging them to stop looking at others and look at, their, look at themselves. What Paul was asking them to do was to examine themselves and see if it was true that through their actions that Christ was really living in them. He was telling the Corinthians that they need to do some soul searching. And guys, so do we. We need to do some soul searching about our relationship with our Lord. Have we taken time to look at our life both inside and out? Have we really sat back and kind of graded ourselves? How am I doing in this relationship? See, Paul wants the Corinthians to repent of their sins and put their trust in God. And Paul was actually, he was very upset with the Corinthians at this point in time. Let me read to you the rest of this real quick. In 2 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 2, he says this. He said, I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warned them now while absent. He wasn't there. He was writing them. As I did when present on my second visit, 
that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him. But in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. And then he goes on and he says, examine yourselves. See whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right. Though we may seem to have failed, for we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things while I am away from you that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. So Paul was a little upset with these guys. And he's saying, wait a minute. I brought this faith to you. And I want you guys to grow in this faith. And I want you to become more like Christ. And I want to see that happening. He basically says, you ever seen that <clears throat> on Facebook and stuff, they post these, uh, these big signs that they put up, billboards. And there's one Jesus says, don't make me come down there. You know, that's pretty much what Paul's saying, you know, don't make me come back there. Because when I do, I'm going to use the power that I have been given. And he said, but more importantly, he says in this passage here, he says that he wants them to pass the test. He wants to see the restoration. He's praying for them. And guys, that's, I know, I know that Judd prays for his congregation. I know that I prayed for my congregation. There's nothing that we want more than to see people live out this faith that they have. So I've put together here a little test, seven questions. And I want you to grade yourselves. You can do pass or fail. You can do one through ten. You know, where are you on that scale? Then we can put everybody's together and we can do a little. <laughs> this is between you and the Lord. I'm just going to ask the questions and you guys really. This is a time for you to be honest with yourself. This is a time for all of us, myself included, to look back and say, where am I? Where am I in this walk of faith? Am I honoring God the way that I should be honoring Him? So let's run through the questions here. The first one, when was the last time that you prayed and did not ask for something? You're probably going, that's kind of weird. Isn't that why you pray? Now, there's a little acronym that I think is... Uh, you know, we just finished Acts, so we might as well use it. ACTS means adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. 
Now, when you look at your prayer life and you think about it, where do you spend the most time? Probably in the last two of them, right? In the thanksgiving and supplication. Thanking God for the things that he's given you and then asking him for more. What I would encourage you to do and challenge you to do this next year is maybe spend a little bit more time on the first two. Praising God. Showing adoration towards him. See, we, we serve this, this all-knowing God, this ever-present, sovereign Lord, the great I Am, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is the guy that we worship. He's our Lord and Savior. Spend time showing him adoration. And then secondly, confession. Confessing to him. See, guys, when we get honest with ourselves and we really start looking back and, and looking how the things that come off of our tongue, the way we handle money, our relationships, things of that nature, if we're really honest with ourselves, that C means a lot. Because then we can sit down and humble ourselves before the Lord and we can confess. Lord, we are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And Father, I need your help. And so when you get to that supplication, ask him for that help to help make you and me better, better Christians, better examples to this watching world. Confess our sins. So that's where I would encourage you to do, maybe starting today. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And then as you see your life change through prayer, be more thankful to the Lord. The next question. When was the last time you served in your church? Now as an ex-pastor... It's an area that really concerns me because I think about the church that I used to have. How many of you have ever heard of the 80-20 rule? Yeah, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. Guys, I'm telling you, it should not be that way. It should not be that way. We are all called to serve in our church. We all have gifts and talents to be used. This is a mobile church. There's a lot of work that has to be done to get this prepared for Sunday mornings. God wants us to serve him in this church. Now I'm going to share a couple stories with you about this church. First time my wife and I came to this church, we came in and we were greeted by people. We really felt welcomed here. And uh, Judd preached a good message. And we were trying to figure out where are we going to go to church? You know, where are we going to plant ourselves here? And we walked out that day and we were really encouraged because the people were nice and, and Judd's message was good. And 
Then the next three times that we came to church here, nobody said a word to us. And I'm serious. Well, wait a minute. One day, Martha Joe, she turned around in her chair and said, good morning. Nobody said anything. And there were a lot of people here, and they were all talking together and stuff, and we walked in, and we walked out. Next week, we walked in, and we walked out. The next week, we walked in, and we walked out. And I stopped, and I said, i got to talk to Judd. Houston, we got a problem. And so Judd came out into the lobby. I introduced myself to him, told him I was an ex-pastor. And, and I said, look, I said, love your preaching and stuff, but, man, nobody said boo to us in the last three times we've been here. And so he took it to heart. He took it to heart. They now have a grieving ministry. And you know what, guys? I didn't just complain about it. You guys see me every week grieving people, don't you? I saw a need in this church. And instead of just complaining about it, I stepped up and did something about it. And guys, that's what we all need to do as well. We need to step up. We can't just say, well, they don't do this or they don't do that. We have to be willing to do something about it. Another area, something I see every week, either it's in the bulletin or it's in Judd's emails to us. Two people needed for setup. It's been there for months and months. Two people needed for setup. See Mickey. Mickey's that handsome bearded guy back there. Okay. <laughs> and and I just think about that. I'm going, okay. We just need two people. And the nice thing about serving in this church is that they don't burn you out. You only do it for a period of time. Okay, it's not like, hey, I want you to commit to set up for the next six years. Right? It's, it's three months, I think, all right, for set up. Other areas, it's by month. Some areas, you know, it's you don't get burned out. So, guys, here's an opportunity. Okay, as you grow in your faith, we're called to serve, serve in the body of Christ. That's what makes this thing tick, okay? And come together and serve. Serve your Lord and Savior. You're not serving Judd. Remember that. You're serving your Lord. This is all about your relationship with your Lord and Savior. When's the last time you shared Jesus with someone who is not a Christian? See, it's really easy for us to get together, Bible studies, whatever, okay, men's groups, football game, whatever, and we share Jesus, talk about Jesus, talk about things that are going on in our lives, oh yeah, this and that. But do you ever share it with somebody who's not a Christian? How often do you share Jesus with people at work? You know, a lot of people say, oh, I get in trouble if I do that at work. No, you won't. No, you won't, because there's always those opportunities. You always get these little opportunities. Man, when that door opens up, you run through it. You run through it when you get that opportunity. So try to be as comfortable about sharing Christ with people who aren't Christians as you are with people who are Christians. 
Because that's what Scripture calls us to do. Go out and share. Okay, so we're done with three of them. Number four. When's the last time you sat down and meditated on a passage of Scripture? See, guys, the things I'm talking about here are very basic things. When we give our lives to Jesus Christ, these are the things that we, we kind of work on, all right? Our prayer life and, and serving and telling people about this relationship we have with Christ. All right, they, these are very basic things that I'm talking about here. So what's your, what's your personal time with the Lord look like? What's your quiet time look like? You know, we all have struggles. We all have issues going on in our lives. And I'll tell you what, the answers are in this book. The answers are in this book to help us get through those things. Or maybe it's just a day when you want to sit down and learn more about the life of Christ and the struggles that he went through. What does that quiet time look like? Are you giving him what he deserves? Are we too busy? See, that's one of the things that we really have to watch in our lives is the busyness because we can all get sucked up into it. But guys, we have to have time for the Lord. And I was really encouraged the other day because I was at lunch with my sons and um, In the Sunday school for men, Judd had been handing out a lot of pamphlets and stuff. And so I, I took some extras. So when I had the chance to sit down with my boys, we could kind of talk about those things. I wanted to share it with them. And, and so I asked, you know, how's your quiet time with the Lord? And, and my one son said, you know what? He said, he said, since I've gotten back to spending time with the Lord in the morning, my days are so different. They are so different. And guys, I just want to encourage you, spend that time with the Lord. And hopefully first thing in the morning, because it will make an impact on your life. It will help you see things differently throughout the day. And maybe your heart will change a little bit more and the things that fly off your tongue during the day when you're at work or wherever will be more enjoyable to hear. So anyway, what's that time look like that you spend with the Lord? Number five, when is the last time you've helped those less fortunate? When's the last time you helped those who are less fortunate than you are? Is it just once a year at this time of the year? Okay, when we feel, oh gosh, we've got to give money to, you know, Salvation Army or We've got to give food to people who are starving, or is it something that you do throughout the year? See, Christ calls us to do it throughout the year. He doesn't say, oh, hey, by the way, you know, Christmas is coming, which is my birthday. Uh, make sure that you give to some people who are less fortunate than you are. No, he calls us to do that year round. You know, in, in Matthew 25, 40, Jesus says that whatever you give to the least of these, you have given to me. Whatever you've given to the least of these, you've given to me. Be it food, be it clothes, be it, be it going to prisons and visiting, whatever it may be. When you do that kind of stuff, you're doing it for him. 
You're not doing it for yourself. You're not doing it to make yourself feel good. You're doing it because Christ calls us to do that, to look out for those who are less fortunate than we are. We just went through counterculture and talked about poverty, poor people. I mean, just on and on and on and on the things that we could do as individuals in Jesus Christ to give back to those who are less fortunate. There are so many ways that we can do that. So think about that as you go into 2016. Number six, when's the last time you gave sacrificially or gave a full tithe of your first fruits? Now, we already talked about money. We already talked about giving with a cheerful heart. Guys, this is an area that I know years ago when, when our pastor, Francis Chan, talked about giving, and he went to the book of Malachi, and he said, he said, I want you guys to test God, okay, because God's saying that you're robbing him of tithes and offerings. And he, he said this to the congregation. He said, I'm going to challenge you. I want you to give. I want you to at least give a tithe. He said, and I'll tell you what. He said, if you don't feel blessed after that, if you don't see God's blessings pouring out on you, he said, I'll give you your money back. I'll give you your money back. And nobody asked for their money back. But people did give more graciously and sacrificially. I remember a time I was preaching over in a village in Africa. And this just went right to the heart, man. I'm telling you. I get done preaching, okay. We're out in the bush. We got all these people that came in from these little villages. And, and I get done preaching and they do the offering. And there, the people had to come up, and it was almost like putting it on the altar. You know, they bring it up, and, and they put their offering down. Man, oh, man, our team was sitting over here on the right-hand side, and these people come up, and they start giving their offerings. And then you see this lady who's got eggs, okay? You see another person, they've got fruit, another person with bread, so they weren't just putting money. They were giving their first fruits. I mean, they were giving what they had to give. And I looked over at my wife. She had tears coming down her face. And the rest of the people on our team, they were just in awe. They were like, oh, my goodness. Because these people understood what it meant to give sacrificially and to give whatever it took to God's kingdom. All right, lastly, this one I could talk about for weeks. What about your marriage or relationship you're in? Is it a Christ-honoring marriage or relationship? Think about it for a second. I've been married for 36 and a half years now to my wife. One of the secrets to our marriage is the fact that we've never gone to bed angry at one another. Never. If we were upset with one another, we'd stay up all night and get it resolved. We communicated. We talked. We got it out on the table. We never let the sun set on our anger. That's what it tells us in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. 
Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Because, guys, the longer you let that stuff brew, the more Satan will do his thing and get into your marriage, and you don't want that. Let's talk a little bit more about marriage. There was a thing on Facebook. There was this older couple. They'd been married 50, 60 years, and the question was, what was the secret to such a long marriage? And this, this little old lady in her sweet little voice goes, well, let me tell you. I came from a generation that when something was broken, you fixed it. You didn't throw it away and get another one. Fix it. You fix it. But I'm going to tell you something. Let me read you a little bit here out of Ephesians. Ephesians 5. You've all heard it. Starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I'm going to stop right there. As to the Lord. It's not about your husband. It's about your relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that relationship is a good relationship, then you're going to honor him. You're going to honor the Lord in that relationship. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. See, it doesn't matter if your husband's a jerk or not. I was one. Right? Um, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> See, it, it, it's about her relationship with the Lord, and regardless what big jerk I'm being, She's still going to honor God in that relationship. Okay, she's still going to honor God. She may not like me at the moment, but she still loves me and she still loves her Lord, and she's going to honor her Lord at all costs. But guys, here's the key. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to what is it yeah okay so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Gentlemen, are you loving your wives as Christ loved the church? This is Christ's church, and he loves his church. Are you cherishing that gift that he gave you? 
See, women want to be cherished. They want to be loved. They want to be cared for. They want security. They want all those things. And you know what, guys? Guess who's going to answer to the man when the day comes? You are for your family. You are responsible for your family. You are responsible for holding that family together. You are responsible for the things that take place in that family. And you're going to go before your Lord someday. Do you love your wife as Christ loved the church? Do you cherish her? I mean, I'm not even going to get into washing with the word and, and, and all that kind of stuff. I just want to talk about the basic stuff here. What's that relationship look like? Is it a God-honoring relationship? Whether you're married or whether, whether you're in a relationship with somebody else, if you're a Christian, you need to read what these things say, and you need to honor the Lord in that relationship. It's so important. And guys, I can probably guess right now there might be some marriages in here that are struggling for financial reasons whatever it may be finances will tear down a marriage so quick it'll make your head spin but guys there's help there's help available and we'll talk about that in a minute so how do we do did we pass with flying colors did we just get by or did we fail? See, examining ourselves can be really hard. It can be really hard, but it can be really helpful to see areas in our lives that need to change. See, if we're these Christians, then we should realize that Christ Jesus is within us. And that should cause us to live out what God's Word says. James 1.22 says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word. Man, I used to just try to drive that home all the time. Be doers, not just hearers. Don't just come to church every Sunday and listen to what Judd has to say or go to, to Sunday school and just hear what he has to say. But take that and apply it in your life. Be doers of the word. That's what Christ wants from us. He doesn't want you to just listen. He wants you to do something with it. And if we're doers of the word, it'll compel us. It will compel us to want to share God's word with others. It demands that we examine ourselves, not just once a year, but we should do that on a regular basis. Do others see Jesus living in us? Scripture tells us that Jesus is living in us. Do others see that? 2015 is almost over, guys. 2016 is right around the corner. Maybe your New Year's resolution this year would be to become more like Christ and be doers and not just listeners. I pray that we will all check our priorities and be encouraged by studying God's Word but more importantly, living it out. If you're excited that Jesus is living within you, are you going to be excited enough to show that to the watching world that we live in?
Are you going to make the changes that let people see that you do have Christ in your life? Now, I'm not saying that you don't already. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying examine yourselves and be honest about the test results. Be honest. Be humble. See, if you're not passing, if you're not passing, if you sat here and go, wow, I'm really falling short here, and I'm, I'm doing okay, but, man, I'm really falling short here. We're here to help you. We're here to help you through anything that you're going through. Judd, Jim, Ben, Mike, Clyde, myself, women, women's ministry, you have Jenny and Cameron, Wendy, my wife, and I'm sure there's others. Guys, we're here for you. We're not perfect. We're not, I'm not standing up here saying I'm perfect and I got it all together. None of us are, but together, together we can sharpen one another. As it says in Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man can sharpen another. And one woman can sharpen another. That's what this body of Christ is about. It's about helping one another to become better at what we do so that this dark watching world sees light shining out of us. We are supposed to be a light in this dark world. But we also have to be humble enough to admit when we need help. And guys, we're here to help you. Women, we're here to help you. See, our only purpose, our only purpose here on this earth is to bring glory to our Lord and Savior. To bring Him glory. Nothing else. And the only way we can bring him glory is by being doers of his words and to live it out to this watching world. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to share your word. Father, thank you for this opportunity for each and every one of us to reflect back on 2015 and before and just look at ourselves be honest with ourselves. Are we, Father, growing in our faith? Are we, Father, becoming more and more like you? God, I know that that's what you want from each and every one of us. Because that will bring you glory. And Father, you and only you deserve the glory. It's not about any one of us. Father, it's about you. And so, God, as we come here today, as we wrap up 2015, I pray, Lord, that we'll just take a deep, deep look into our hearts. Do some deep soul searching. Look at where we need to make changes. Seek the help that we may need. Be better husbands and wives. Be better with our money. Be better with our communication and the things that come off of our tongues. And Father, if our hearts aren't right, that we'll do the things that we need to do to make our hearts right. Again, Father, we give you 
in you alone, all the glory. Amen.